the Toyn is one of my favorite things ever written. It's it's about the the hero Kukulin and just how he wrecks face <laughs> for an entire text. <laughs> Hi, and welcome back to The Plot, a podcast on writing and how our words and stories are shaping the world today. I'm Sean Douglas, I'm an arts journalist and podcaster, and today I'm joined by medievalist Kelly Williams for a conversation on medieval literature. Kelly is a PhD candidate in medieval English literature at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and she's also a close friend whom I've known for many years. So when I thought about doing a show on medieval lit, I knew she'd be the perfect person to go to. One thing that has been a goal of this show since the beginning has been to talk about writing and art in a way that takes people beyond the most dominant or readily accessible popular culture. Or at other times, to find connections between popular culture and less mainstream work. With Medieval Lit, we can do both of those things. While I'm sure my audience knows the legends of King Arthur or the Canterbury Tales, how well do you know the Vinland sagas or the Irish epic The Toyn? And since medieval can be a vague and often Eurocentric term, What about what the rest of the world was writing in that long period that loosely spans the middle of the first millennium to the middle of the second? To help us all expand our awareness of the world's great epics, romances, and poetry, and more, Kelly is here with a huge list of recommendations. And whether you're used to reading older writing or not, chances are you'll hear something that piques your interest. We also spend a little time discussing some of the current issues in the medieval studies world, one of which is the work to make it more inclusive. For example, one of the largest scholarly associations in the field, the International Society of Anglo-Saxonists, recently voted to change its name in an effort to thwart internal racism and sexism. This conversation also comes at a time when white supremacists are increasingly adopting symbols from the Middle Ages as signs of a supposed and historically inaccurate white heritage. In this kind of climate, what is the role of a medieval scholar when it comes to helping the public stay informed and combating those who would try to twist history to promote narratives of hate and violence. We didn't get a chance to go in depth on this subject, but it's worth noting that part of the reason reading older texts is so important is for how they keep us culturally literate and undo both stereotypes and more malicious rewritings of the past. Oh, and we also talk about Spider-Man and his connection to medieval stories too. How so? Well, you'll have to listen to find out but be warned that there are some spoilers for the film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse when we get to that point. Now with that all said, let's get started. Hi Kelly, thanks for being on the plot today. Thanks for having me. So I thought we could talk about medieval studies or medievalism, depending on which of those phrases makes the most sense. Maybe you could go over just what the difference is between those two. Um, just so I know how to talk about it the best way possible. Um, But we could talk about medieval studies and um, some of the conversations that are going on in that field right now with regard to, like, how do we want to think about medieval lit these days and, and who should we be reading and why is it, why is it still so relevant to what we're doing now? Of course. Yeah. Um, So you asked about the difference between medieval studies and medievalism. Yeah. So I would define medieval studies as any type of, I guess, scholarly inquiry or just curiosity or engaging directly with the material from the Middle Ages, 
Middle Ages broadly kind of referring to maybe the 5th century to the 16th century, 15th century, maybe mm-hmm. even. Um, Which is obviously a huge span of time. It's yeah, like, and... To summarize all of that as, like, one thing is obviously kind of impossible, but... Right, right. Um, and it's also very Eurocentric, too, in mm-hmm. that the Middle Ages tends to, at least in uh, in the West, refer to... Um, the time period that was between um, antiquity and the Renaissance when, you know, the, the classics were rediscovered. Um, so it, it's not very a, it's not a very useful term <laughs> for anything outside of Europe. Um, and we can have a whole conversation on periodization and whether or not that's useful. Um, I guess for the purposes of our conversation to get to, of our conversation today, um, we can kind of just refer to the, the Middle Ages more broadly. Okay. Um, and then you asked about medievalism. Um, medievalism is more or less the study of the Middle Ages after the Middle Ages actually occurred. So anything that looks backwards and interprets the Middle Ages, including things like pop culture, um, how are the Middle Ages represented on screen or in movies or on TV, um, in books, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it also kind of refers to you know, things like uh, paintings from the 19th century, um, poetry like uh, that by Alfred Lord Tennyson that looks backwards at the Middle Ages. So anything kind of like that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I can see how those are quite different. And it seemed like this summer in particular, like a lot of controversy flared up um, with how people want to do medieval studies going forward and who was being included and who wasn't. Um, are you able to, to talk about some of that? Yeah, um, so there's um, a long history of you know, trying to have conversations about who is included in the field of medieval studies um, and who gets to make those, um, who gets to draw those boundaries. Um, also, you know, what gets to be studied from the Middle Ages is a, is a kind of a hot topic. Um, as far as this summer goes, um, I think it's probably easiest to direct your listening audience to the podcast Remixing the Humanities. Um, in that podcast episode, uh, the hosts talked to Mary Rambran Ohm and Adam Miyashiro about white supremacy and racism in the academy, um, specifically looking at Old English and Anglo-Saxon studies, but kind of more broadly talking about um academia as a whole okay yeah i will Um, include a link to that yeah it's very good so what what medieval things have you been enjoying lately oh well i'm writing my dissertation so Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm kind of currently reading out all the texts for that over again for like the upteenth time Mm -hmm. um i work on old english literature so i'm currently rereading juliana uh which is a medieval saint's life uh in in poetry um, and I'm also reading Andreas, which is a story about St. Andrew who goes to convert a nation of cannibals to Christianity. It's a very colonial narrative, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of writing about that a little bit. Um, but it is a very, like, it's an interesting poem, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard a lot about your dissertation over the years, but how is that going? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm hopefully going to be done soon. <laughs> I'm, I'm I feel like this has been a, a long process. Oh, I feel like gosh, I'm learning yeah. just how 
you know, slow a lot of these things go. Not like not through your own fault by any means, but just how long it takes to get something published or how long it takes to hear back from someone about something. Oh, I could rant about that forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And maybe it would be interesting to talk about that a little bit. So I have an article right now that I'm about to send off. Um, And what happened was I originally sent that article two years ago to a journal and that journal held on for it for two years and said like, oh, revise and resubmit. We want it. But they never gave, gave me an official acceptance. Um, and then I pulled it and ended up sending it to another journal. <laughs> so it's been two and a half years. Um, and I only kind of wanted to talk about that because it illustrates some of the problems in trying to talk about medieval things in a timely manner, <laughs> especially through academic channels, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why I turned at least quite early on to public scholarship. And what is public scholarship? So public scholarship, um, at least kind of a simple way of just understanding it, is just any kind of academic engagement or rigor that is meant to reach out and involve the public in some way. So, you know, doing a museum exhibit, it's open to the public. That's public scholarship, I would say. Um, Writing blog posts or writing texts that are available to everyone and not behind a paywall, that -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, I can see how that could be more fulfilling. Like you need both, but yeah. if you're if you're trying to communicate with an audience, um that just seems like a much more seamless way of doing it. Yeah, it doesn't really help when you have, you know, you write an article and then it's behind you have to pay $60 in order to see it. Like that's just not feasible for yeah. some people. Like I guess if you want to talk directly to the academy, that's the way to do it. Yeah. But if that's not like your main goal, then that isn't the best way to reach people. <laughs> no, not, at least not a lot of people. <laughs> I'm I'm just not caught up on my own medieval journals. I don't know. <laughs> there are quite a few. Um, some of them take longer than others. <laughs> so where should people who like want to learn more about just medieval lit, we'll say, um, who maybe know the stuff that are kind of like on syllabuses everywhere. And we did some episodes on syllabi. Um, oh yeah but like what are some kind of like lesser known nuggets that you would recommend um so just in terms of you know things that you can pick up on your own Mm -hmm. uh penguin books has been phenomenal about just translating and putting out really affordable copies of just medieval texts from just around the world like global medieval texts so yeah they've got the canberry tales but they've also got like you know, just like Vis and Ramin, the Persian epic, or the Persian love story. Like, you could just pick that up for $12. What is it called? Uh, Vis and Ramin. Okay. It's a, I think, it was a, I think it's a romance. And, and hmm. like a generic, like, you know, in terms of genre. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're just amazing. Anyone else? Ooh, just in terms of like, do you want me to just start listing things? Yeah, yeah, go go up? crazy. Like, what are what are the things that you like wish more people knew about? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I guess I will say that one of the cool things about being at the university that I'm at is that um, the medieval studies program decided that instead of requiring its graduate students to do like 
medieval stuff and early modern stuff to be competitive on the job market. They actually said, well, what if we took our medieval studies courses and made it global? And so they expanded you know, our knowledge of medieval stuff globally as opposed to just staying in Europe, mm. which is kind of fantastic. Yeah. And so as a result, I just learned about all of these new things. I'm just so excited. <laughs> So, I don't know. If I, you want me to start listing text. Yeah, just list text. <laughs> I'll, we'll I'll, I'll get a written list from you, maybe separately, that oh. I can put with this, so people aren't like trying to figure out how to spell everything or yeah, everything. I will but if you want to just sort of go crazy, like, what are your favorites? Like, oh, what are, so like, like, your I greatest guess... hits of, like... <laughs> medieval Medieval, <laughs> medieval studies' greatest hits. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I, I, we'll start with maybe some of the more familiar stuff and go to the less familiar um, just in terms of something that's more closer to, I guess, England, uh, some Celtic texts like the Mabinogion from Wales and the Toyne, which is a medieval Irish epic. The Toyne is one of my favorite things ever written. It's it's about the, the hero Cuculain and just how he wrecks face <laughs> for an inspired text. <laughs> um, if you want to look at... Um, Medieval texts, I think I'm going to recommend some that not only just deal with the cultures that they are a part of, but maybe some that show contact between different cultures in the medieval period, if that sounds good to you. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so one of the things that I really like is the Vinland sagas, um, and that includes the saga of Eric the Red. Um, It shows some contact between Vikings and indigenous peoples in the north of Canada. Hmm. I can't promise that it's a happy read all of the time. There are definitely some problems, but it does show that there was contact and Vikings weren't this insular society. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also, I really like the uh, Ibn Fadlan and the Land of Darkness, which is an Arab traveler's account of his travels in Northern Europe. So it talks about his interactions with Vikings and his impression of them. It's quite charming. Okay. Yeah, I believe I have heard of that, probably from you. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'd have to double check, but I think The 13th Warrior is in part based on this. Hmm. Okay. The movie movie with Antonio Banderas. (laughs) It's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Like, The Travels of Marco Polo, I mean, even though people know about that and it's pretty popular and famous... It's got, you know, an account of the Mongols, which I think is astounding. Mm-hmm. I've already mentioned uh, Vis and Ramin, uh, which is a love story. The the Shahnameh is also a pretty great Persian read. It's an epic. Um, I actually just went to a talk the other day by the translator of most of these Persian texts. Uh, his name is Dick Davis, and he's coming out with a new book. That's called Mirror of My Heart, 1,000 Years of Persian Poetry by Women. Um, I believe the hardcover is out, but the I th- if I remember correctly, it's going to be re-released as a paperback in March. Uh, and it's it's fantastic. Hmm. Okay. And then, then, of course, like the Arabian Nights. Um, mm-hmm. The good old Arabian Nights. Yeah, I love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a good list. I I like how they're just like, they're just so different. I feel like from, from just what's in our cultural consciousness right now. 
Oh, yeah. And if you want to just keep going, I've got, you know, recommendations from Africa and, and China and Japan. Okay, yeah, let's do Africa and China and Japan, too, if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of... Um, Again, I'll, many... I'll put in a list so people don't necessarily have to memorize all of these, but... Right. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so from Africa, we have a an epic called Sunjata um, from the Mande peoples, and it's about the founder of the Mali Empire in West Africa. Uh, it's full of magic and, and heroics. Uh, it's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, magic and heroics in... sound good. Oh, well, always. <laughs> who, who doesn't want magic and heroics? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> certainly, I mean, I certainly want those. Maybe if you're against fun. Yeah, if you're, yeah, I don't know, Cromwell. <laughs> yeah, um, this is more historical, but there is a book out by Kathleen Dickford Berzak. I think that's how her name is pronounced. She's got a historical book out um, with a lot of pictures or artifacts from medieval Africa. It's called Caravans of Gold Fragments and Time, I believe. Um, so if people are very into visual and material culture, that would be a really good place to start. In terms of reads from Asia, uh, there's a really good collection of Tang and Sung Dynasty poetry translated by Red Pine. It's called Poems of the Masters. It's just a very large collection that you can kind of find what you want in there. It's there's it's overwhelming, but it's it's a really great collection. <laughs> the masters sound like they were probably pretty good. They were probably amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and from it's actually taught. Uh, some of these poems one year in my intro to poetry class and one of my students uh came and pulled me aside afterwards and said that hey my roommate's from china he says that some of this poetry is still popular and he was able to kind of connect with his roommate in a very interesting way because of that and it made me just feel good inside (laughs) yeah poetry bringing people together always um in terms of just kind of things that are a little bit more well known at least in the medieval world for medieval studies, uh, there is Lady Marasaki's The Tale of Genji. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty long. So if you don't have the patience for that, there are abridged versions out there. Um, it's wild. Yeah. That's the first novel, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Um, but if, you know, if nobody has patience for that, um, I would suggest The Confessions of Lady Nijo, uh, which is this kind of documentary account of this woman's life at court. Uh, she's very hilarious. I, I just really like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one I know that I've talked with you about before, too. That sounds really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's really good. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, yeah. that is an excellent list. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, the next thing that I haven't actually read yet that I'm really excited to read, I just ordered a copy. It's called the Popol Vuh. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's the Mayan Book of the Dawn of Life and the Glories of the Gods and Kings. Um, and it's not, I don't know exactly what time period it was from, but it was first transcribed in the 16th century. Uh, so it's pretty close. Um, I don't really know a lot about the medieval time period in terms of like the, um, in North America and South America. So that's kind of my next avenue of inquiry. Yeah. Medieval is a very Eurocentric term. Um, mm. I guess we're just using it in this podcast for convenience. Yeah. Um, so I would be hesitant to say like, oh, this is, you know, medieval North America or medieval Mesoamerica. That's, Mm -hmm. that's really hard to actually define. (laughs) What would be a better way to talk about, I don't know, the, the time period that, that the Popova is from? 
Ooh, I don't even know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um or maybe, um, or, or does that not even exist? Have we not really figured out? I mean, I'm not an expert <laughs> at all. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Okay, I've heard pre-Columbian being be thrown around, but I can also see that being a problematic yeah. term. Defining. I don't know that I love defining it by Columbus. <laughs> no, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's useful in that mm -hmm. it marks kind of a break between colonialism <laughs> and yeah, and yeah it does, like it marks a break but i mm -hmm. don't i don't like it yeah it's yeah it's, it's still very eurocentric mm -hmm. yeah i don't know and, and not to make our list even longer but but why not make the list longer are why there not? like contemporary things too that you've been enjoying at all like that or not even recently necessarily but do you have like favorite like modern adaptations of something or like a a current novel or a film or a comic or something that like did a modern, you know, take on one of these stories that you would recommend? Uh, I don't know about modern takes on in these stories. I'm not necessarily aware of any pop cultural items that maybe adapt any of these directly, but there mm -hmm. are definitely things out there that allude um, to the medieval period and to medieval literature. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorites is the secret of Kells, the animated movie. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's. I haven't seen it, but I've heard, it's, heard it's really good. Oh yeah, it's gorgeously animated. Um, it's not without problems. Um, there's a, definitely a caricature in there of a black man, and he's kind of exaggerated a little bit in his accent and the way that he looks. Um, but I, it's it's tough to kind of interpret him. But I guess in general, that movie is very. It's very well done in reflecting kind of the joy and the beauty of medieval irish manuscripts okay well that is a really good list of things that i <laughs> i do want to share with with the listeners um normally yeah. i conclude an interview by asking what uh an interesting or memorable conversation you've had recently is but given that i am your friend already and talk to you regularly i think i'll just <laughs> ask you about other things that i know that that you are interested in right now um, okay. And one of those things is that you've been writing for Vault of Culture and doing some some other kind of posts here and there about things. Um, yeah, you've been writing a lot about popular culture too. So I think. My, sorry. So how's that going? Um, I think my interest with the Middle Ages kind of dovetails with my interest in popular culture because in some ways they deal with the same things, but in other ways they are kind of similar. Um, so I write a lot about comics mm -hmm. um, and kind of nerdy adjacent media. Um, and there's a way in which, like, uh, things from the Middle Ages kind of function the way that comics do. So the example that comes to mind is Arthurian literature. So in Arthurian literature, there's just an explosion of stories about King Arthur and his court, but there's no really established canon, right? Anybody mm -hmm. can kind of pick up a pen and write about it. And there are all kinds of reboots and reimaginings and people inventing their own characters. And it's not unlike the way that comics work. Mm -hmm. The only difference being that, obviously, comics are owned by companies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know you said that you were working on your dissertation, but you would rather be writing about Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> completely true. <laughs> In some ways, maybe I'm better at writing about Spider-Man than I am about writing about medieval England. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> I think you would be much better than most of us at writing about medieval England. <laughs> Not that you wouldn't be good at writing about both, but <laughs> what about Spider-Man have you been thinking about lately? 
Um, so I have a piece in progress about um, Into the Spider-Verse and the way that the comic book form actually kind of has a lot of baggage associated with it. So a lot has been written about how the the animation style of the movie uh, harkens back to its comic book origins and how great that is. And it's very visually pleasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm also writing about the ways in which that form also um, points to some of the bad stuff about comics that this movie seeks to rectify. So an example would be the figure of like Kingpin, who I'm arguing that he has a lot of comic skate rhetoric influencing his lines. So while like the comics form has a lot of nostalgia for people, it also caused a lot of pain for others. And I think Kingpin mm-hmm. kind of plays into that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs> well, yeah, just these sort of almost like vestigial ways of, of talking about things um, that are just sort of out outdated now. Yeah. So I think one of the ways in which, you know, the the comics tidbits in, in the film, um, there's this scene where Gwen Stacy is falling into the collider and it deliberately evokes the comic book image of the death of Gwen Stacy. The only problem or the only difference is that in Into the Spider-Verse, she's saved, right? Miles saves her before she dies. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of arguing that in some ways the comic book form is acknowledging a past one that is both joyful and full of problems and also rectifying some of its past sin. Hmm. Okay. Is that a... <laughs> no, I can see that. I think that probably someone would need to know a lot about the comics that are informing that to even pick up on those things. Right. Yeah. Um, which like, is why it's good. We have people like you to explain those things to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I try to know a lot about comics, but I'd like my knowledge is, small compared to the editor uh sean gilmore he just sometimes i think he's read everything mm-hmm. this is the editor <laughs> for vault of culture which is the, yeah. the outlet you write for yeah he's amazing and he's always looking for contributors so if anybody wants to write for him yeah if anyone listening listening to this wants to write for a new pop culture publication um they're doing good work all right well thank you for having this conversation i learned a lot from it oh thank um, you and i think this is a fascinating subject that i i appreciate having people in my life who who can teach me interesting things about other time periods hey i will look up some of the things from your list and report back on how i feel about them oh they're amazing um, i'm sure they're amazing but yeah just what my experiences were sounds good cool all right well is there anything you want to plug or promote before you go any last oh, words well. Uh, read more stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I will have that full list in the article that goes along with this show. Yeah. And you have a good night. Thank you, you too. Yeah. That was Kelly Williams, reflecting on her favorite stories from medieval literature. You can read more of Kelly's work on the website The Vault of Culture, or follow her Medieval Musings through her Twitter handle, at Medieval Muse. The plot is a production from me, Sean Douglas, and the credits theme music is by Tan Chong Yu. If you liked this show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you know anyone else you think might like this show, please also consider recommending it or sharing it online where more people can discover it. 
You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Sean Douglas underscore and this show at The Plot Podcast. Our episode today came from a much longer conversation, and to maintain a more concentrated, manageable length, unfortunately some moments didn't make the final edit. So I will play us out with one last quote from Kelly, which I thought eloquently described the value of what medieval scholars do. I I think that studying the Middle Ages and kind of just looking backward in history just reveals so much human connection I mean, yes, in some ways, the time period is very different from ours. Um, this, you know, culture was not the same. What was popular was not the same. Um, heck, there was monarchies <laughs> that had a lot more power. Um, and I think looking at those differences is very important. It can kind of reveal um, alternate ways of being. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that imaginative. Oh, I like that. Really important. Um, because, you know, as we are looking at our own time and we're thinking about other ways of being, um, I think looking backwards is a nice exercise um, in how to do that.